It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Say, so, we like to get started. I talk to you, and you talk to me. Who are you talking to at this hour? Mr. Bradley. You better start talking. Let's start the talking. I could talk all night. My mind is Jay talking. Midnight, conversing until the night. All we need is information. Now we got ourselves communication. Bradley J. Jay Talking, WBZ. You are Jay Talking. We're live midnight to five. Today we are going to start with a couple of folks who are college Democrats from Boston College. We had college Republicans on from Northeastern, and that was interesting. Only fair we have the college Democrats on. And it's not only to find out about where they're at politically, but to help us all understand really young people, Generation Z folks. Because there's a lot of speculation on the show late at night between we old people about what those kids are thinking. So I figured I'd I have them on. So thanks for coming in. Sophie Carter, political director. You are from Providence, uh, Rhode Island. Yes. And we have Jacob Rico. You're the president and you've, you hail from where? From North New Jersey. Yeah, there you go. And uh, what compelled you to join this group? You're both pretty young. You're like a freshman and a sophomore. And you jumped right in to become members of this group. What compelled you to do that? Uh, Sophie. Sure. So I've always been pretty involved with politics, especially in high school. Um, I'm from Rhode Island, which is a pretty solidly democratic state. So that's just always something that I grew up with and found myself agreeing with pretty strongly. Um, College Democrats of Boston College was the first club I joined um, when I moved to BC back in August. And I just really found a community there and met a lot of my really good friends um, through College Democrats of BC. So when the time came to uh, run for eboard, I decided to go for it. Nice. How about you, Jacob? Um, definitely a similar story insofar as, you know, in high school, being those types of kids that were really, really into politics, felt um, no fear in sharing their opinions. And also just um, the way that the political realm always allowed me to sort of get outside of myself, get outside of my own head, um, and really try and do something that extended farther beyond me than myself um, has always been something that I've found important. So both of you back in high school, you, um, you were forced to defend your positions early on. You've been debating this for a long time. Um, yeah, I was a congressional debater back in high school. Um, so that involved a lot of talking about policy issues and discourse with my peers, um, which really helped me form my own opinions. Um, when I was in high school, I also engaged in a little bit of um, youth activism, especially around the areas of gun violence and education reform. So that really um, got me into politics. You like uh, BC? Um, yeah. I mean, BC is 
a great place, but like any place, it, it has its problems here and there. Um, but no, I, I really enjoy what I study. I, I love to learn there. Um, BC is great. BC has been great for me. I didn't go to school there, but at that radio station, community members can be involved, and I have been involved over there for a long time. I had to stop being involved because of this station. It just takes too much time. <laughs> but, hey, who knows? Maybe I'll, down the road I'll end up back there. Or right, let's get some uh, opinions from you folks. Again, some about politics, some about just being young. And I'm going to go ahead and invite folks in the audience to call 617-254-1030, 617-254-1030. I think you'll find that the audience skews conservatively, but not completely so. It's, it's weird. You know, Massachusetts is blue, but talk radio is red. So it sort of balances out. I'll just start off asking you what, uh, Jacob, what you thought about the State of the Union address last night. Um, before I go into the specifics of last night's State of the Union, um, I'll just talk about the State of the Union as an event in and of itself. I mean, it's typically a circus, and last night was definitely no exception to that rule. By circus, you kind of mean a th theater Rather than substance? Oh, certainly, yeah. Political theater more than it is really anything of any actual substance. And I mean, you can't really blame it. That's sort of what the institution's all about. You're talking about something that's meant to be for the general public, meant to be for everyone to tune in, try and see what it is that they like or dislike about the person that they've already made up their minds about. But yeah, last night was definitely no no stranger to, to that um, uh, classification. All right, as I mentioned, I'm going to bounce around between political questions. Just expect to be surprised. Now I'm just going to come to Sophie. What do you fear? You're a freshman in college. What do you fear? What are, what are the things that weigh upon you? The uh, baby boomers feared getting blown up by, by nuclear missiles. What is the fear for you? Um, I, I also fear um, getting blown up by nuclear missiles. I think that... This is a really interesting time to be alive, um, especially when it comes to diplomacy and international relations in the age of social media and technology and the internet. But just more broadly, being a college student, what I fear, um, college is really expensive and um, I fear making an imprudent choice when it comes to what I'm majoring in or my career path, but I, I have faith it'll all work out. Have you made any imprudent choices in your life yet? Um, I'm a philosophy major, so <laughs> it's debatable. <laughs> if you're a philosophy major, everything's debatable. Jacob, you had your hand up. Yeah, no, I'd love to jump in on what Sophie began okay. on, on education. Um, I mean, in this country, we're at a point where we've got $1.5 trillion worth of student loan debt, and it's some of the only debt that you can't declare bankruptcy on. Um, and if you want to try to, um, it's incredibly difficult and then, I mean, if you're lucky enough to get through college, get your bachelor's degree and come out with debt, um, we're hovering at 4% unemployment. But then on top of that, um, we get up to, I think, about 10 million people who are either unemployed or underemployed. Um, and I, I mean, you really can't stress how serious of a crisis it is to be putting so many of our youth who are the most at-risk populations, especially when you start talking about more at-risk subgroups within that, people of color, 
um, you know, historically marginalized groups, um, what it means to be putting them in a position where they need to be taking out huge loans with the possibility of falling into a place where um, they'll be underemployed, unemployed, um, dissatisfied with the, the state of their life and, and their earnings. Well, how much debt do you expect to accrue? Uh, you're doing your undergrad now. I can't imagine you, you won't continue. You could be looking at how, what kind of debt level? Um, personally, um, well, I'm considering law school, so I'll probably come out with over $100,000 in debt. Do you ever break that down, how much that is a month? You probably have. I try not to think about it. How do you deal with it mentally? Um, I just have faith that things will work out. Um, I apply for tons of scholarships and hope that some of those will work out. Um, but I think that just in the future, making smart financial choices will help me get through that amount of debt. For example, what would be smart financial choice? What kind of things are you talking about? Um, just you know, using some moderation when it comes to like lifestyle choices, like what I choose to forego and what I choose to purchase, like the, the means by which I'm living. Very good. How about you as far as other than debt? What is a Generation Z person fearing, Jacob? What, do you, what else are you concerned about? Um, when it comes to fear, I mean, there are a lot of things, obviously, in my everyday life that make me uncomfortable that I fear. But I mean, the, the real things that bother me are much larger, much more structural. Um, I mean, climate change is always on my mind, considering that it's half of what I spend all of my time doing at uh, university studying for, and also um, what I work on um, as a sustainability intern for Boston College Dining. So that certainly um, lays heavy on, on my shoulders and on my mind. So this is not some abstract thing for you like it is for older people. For mm -hmm. you, this is an immediate, direct threat, much like they feared the Cuban Missile Crisis. You f you fear climate crisis. Um, perhaps not in the same way that you would a missile crisis. I mean, that's something imminent. But I I fear what a climate change crisis will do to the stability and structure of geopolitical um, like conflict and stability, um, really around the entire world. Um, when you talk about whether or not we're going to be the ones who are directly afflicted by climate change, um, the answer is, prob is, is probably not many of us, because many of us will have the wealth, the resources, in order to escape what may become uh, um, a, to, to afflict us one day. But there are people globally that will not be able to do the same thing. And when you talk about the massive threat of desertification, of desertification um, loss of access to water resources, um, I, I mean, if we think that Syria is a problem right now um, with the migrant crisis, I mean, just wait until hundreds of millions of people are being just uprooted from their communities really globally, um, and then we're, we're going to have to deal with it because we are the ones with the moral weight of having caused this crisis. Jacob, can you define Gen Z? Is it a, an age group, or is it more than that? Yeah, Gen Z is an age group that, I mean, is considered as being born after 1996. How do you um, feel about being called Gen Z? It seems kind of, I don't know, you know, just a letter. It's um, not the greatest generation. It's not. It doesn't have a cool name like Baby Boomer, Gen Z. And where do you go after this? Uh, What's it's the next generation? What, what? There are no more letters left. <laughs> Let's go to Ralph in Salem and see what he's thinking. Hey, Ralph. 
How you doing? I was just wondering uh, what they thought about Elizabeth Warren has just come out and apologized for being Native, uh, claiming to be Native American. Well, I, I was wondering if she received financial assistance in college due to that fact because it's written on her college application. And do you think she should be forced to pay all that back? Well, I mean, you can address that question any way you want. I, I don't know. You're asking us to speculate on whether or not she got aid based on that. That was a wasn't that that was a a Texas bar thing that she. Signed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so yep. we are asking Arising us to, spe to, to speculate. College. We don't know. The answer well, would be we don't well, know. No, that's what I'm saying. If if she did, should she be forced to pay it back? Oh, okay. Good question. Um, Sophie, if Senator Warren received, this is if Senator Warren received financial aid by representing herself as a Native American, and this is a speculation, should she have to pay it back? Sure. Um, so I think it's becoming kind of redundant, the whole Elizabeth Warren Native American scandal. The fact that these things just keep coming out is pure sensationalism. It's nothing that we didn't already know. But there have been numerous interviews with um, the missions boards of the schools she attended and the, her employers, and all of them have said that her race or what she claimed her race was had literally no bearing on any of her successes and no, or, and including right, financial aid, including financial aid. Um, it's, it's been proven over and over again. Um, I think that speculating is counterproductive and we should just let the voters now, decide. How primaries. about this though? Let me ask, isn't it kind of lame for her to put that down? I mean, let's face it. Uh, she presented herself as a minority and wasn't. Right. And there are actual minorities that need the services that one gets when they present themselves as a minority. Don't you have a, you must have a problem with that. Right. Yes. I think that if it was intentional, that would be a problem. But I think the way that she has explained herself over these past few months, um, she's made it pretty clear. And I personally at least believe her, but that's up to the voters that she really thought that she had Native American heritage. She says that that's the, the family folklore that she always grew up with. And I think that Really deep down, she believed that she was culturally Native American, even if her DNA results didn't show that. That's just my personal opinion. Um, everyone can interpret that as they will. Um, but I think it's really counterproductive to purely speculate. But also, even if she did have Native American blood, uh, she's not someone who needs to get the boost that minorities get. I mean, just in the spirit of fairness, even if she had the blood, she should have said... You know what? I'm all set. Don't give me anything extra because I'm a Native American. There are actual Native Americans who need the help that I would receive, and she. Right. I don't think which which would be the case if there was proof that she received help from it. Um, but I I think that well we do have to remember that she came from a lower middle class family in Oklahoma. So when applying to colleges and law schools and the bar, um, that's important to remember that she isn't from a particularly advantaged background. Um, but I, I think that getting into speculation about like Elizabeth Warren and her intentions and her heritage and whether or not she received any benefits from it is counterproductive. Do you think it will hurt her? 
Um, you think she's toast? I, I wouldn't go so far to say that she's toast. I, I'm not endorsing her by any means, but I think that she is incredibly uh, strong and um, on the issues, and I think she's um, represented our state well in uh, the Senate. Um, and I think that she definitely has a strong chance. Um, it all just depends on what the voters decide is important to them, and whatever that is, we as a party should respect it. Okay, Ralph, you good? Yeah, well, you know, I just see it, you know, personally, I don't think there should be Democrat and Republican. I just think there should be topics that, you know, they discuss. But if the I'm sure, I, I don't other, understand that. What do you mean by that? There should not be Democrat that, and Republican. I, I don't think there should be parties. Oh. I think the parties have ruined it. I think there should be topics that they, we discuss. I mean, whether your opinion is, uh, you know, liberal or uh you know, a little to the right, that's, you know, up to each individual. But I think by putting party names on it, you're creating, a, you know, almost a football scenario where this team is against that team. Right. One of my things is, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot and it was a Republican that had done this, they'd be ripping them apart. Okay. Thank you very much, Ralph and Salem. I appreciate, right. the, appreciate the time. And uh, I will ask you now about border security. I'm fairly liberal person. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I believe you need border security. How about you guys? Jacob. Yeah. I mean, as much as it wants to be construed that Democrats are in love with the idea of like open borders or whatever floats out in the ether. Um, I mean, that's obviously not true. Democrats are also Actually, in favor. It's not obvious. The, the, a lot of folks think that Democrat means open borders. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's obvious if you actually look into what any Democratic politician says about border security that they don't believe in open borders. But no, you are definitely right that a lot of people um, do have the misconception that Democrats believe in open borders. Obviously, Democrats believe um, that we should be stopping um, the trafficking of women across the border. We should be stopping illegal drugs from flowing into the country, um, this, that, and the other. But I'm a uh, I mean, if I, this question's obviously going in the direction of the wall, and the answer is no. Um, most drugs enter this country through ports of entry. Most people who come into this country and stay here illegally come in through um, planes and just overstay their visa once they arrive here. Um, a border wall across all of southern Texas um, will not negate the problems that we should all be rallying around to try and stop, especially since border, since some uh, illegal crossings have been falling for the last decade. So, I will say that the Democrats are bad at messaging. They, they, the feeling is, and they kind of get painted this way by the Republicans, that Democrats want open borders. I hear that all the time from people who call and believe that Democrats want open borders. And I myself... Uh, get the feeling that they do too. Some of the, you're you're not very progressive. You, 
at least you're not, Jacob. You're No, neither are you. You're pretty centrist. But the progressives in the party, they do want open borders. And they want to dismantle ICE. Let me ask you about dismantling ICE before we go to break. Sophie? Sure. Um, so I, I kind of take a somewhat unpopular stance on this when it comes to being a Democrat. I don't think that we should abolish ICE per se. Um, I think that like any law enforcement agency, they should be subject to intense scrutiny and regulation. And I think that they have a duty to protect the people that they serve, but also act in a humane way. So when it comes to children dying and ICE custody or separating young children from their parents or jumping out jugs of water that were left to literally save people's lives in the deserts. No, that shouldn't be happening. But I think that the solution is not just to get rid of all of it. I think it's to take a really intense, critical look at the way things are being done and be realistic about how America wants to present itself to the world and how America wants to treat fellow humanity. Um, also, just another thing about um, progressivism and open borders. I don't hear a lot of outright open borders talk, even from the progressive wing of the party. I think almost all reasonable people agree that borders are important to the sovereignty of a nation. But I think that the way the rhetoric is going around immigration and our border is really toxic. And that's why it comes out this way. And I think we just really need a fundamental paradigmatic shift in the way that we look at border security and we need cooler heads to prevail on this. We have Jenny in Weymouth now. Hello, Jenny. Hi, Bradley. Go ahead. And hi, Sophie. Hi, Jacob. Hello. Hello. Um, I, I just wanted to comment on a couple of things, um, two different things. One will be immigration, but first I'll address the college tuition and so forth. You do hear that as a big rallying cry in the Democratic Party, as you know. Uh, free college, and um, I find it very interesting um, that someone like Elizabeth Warren rails about it, and yet, what was she making, 300 and what thousand for one course? I hear that. I certainly salary. hear that. I mean, it's obscene. That is obscene, and yet she very gladly took it. She wasn't worrying about other people's tuition and how they were going to pay it as she had her hand out for her paycheck, so it's, you know what I mean, the hypocrisy is not lost. Um, and there's a lot of people, and I think that's what the man that called from South Carolina, I believe, was alluding to, is that schools like Harvard, um, extremely liberal institutions, um, if we're going to be honest about it, um, have some of these the outrageous um, salaries that, they, that the professors get paid for one course, two courses a year. Um, and I know someone personally who's going to UNH paying 45000 a year. Comes from the lower. Wow. Correct. Imagine, Bradley. Yeah, and then that's not without, like, your, you know, your cafeteria program, you know, like, which is, like, I don't know how many thousand a year. The whole, it's, uh, uh, I couldn't believe it. And she, let, me father, ask, let me ask the, I guess, about that. You, having to, you're the people who have to pay this. You must see the problem. You must say, hey, wouldn't it be okay if some of our professors work for a more reasonable amount of money so we would not have so much college debt? Do you, do you feel that way? Yeah, no, Jenny, I am. Uh, I definitely hear the sentiment that you're putting out there, and I'm. Uh, I, I definitely agree. There's a lot of excess and wasted spending in the way that we do college right now. I mean, if you just look at the race to the bottom that colleges in are in right now for who can outspend who, who can install the most amenities to try and attract the most um uh, the most um 
people applying to their yeah. school who can have the the lowest acceptance rate. Um, it it is disgusting, and it is um a sort of um change in I, I'd like to use a stronger word, but it's a change in in what exactly the point of education should be, which is why you'd hope if you were to do a, I don't want to call it free college, but a, a publicly paid for option for college, that you would start to see stricter regulations and controls being put on what exactly colleges can use this sort of funding um, coming from well, the state for restrictions on yeah. certain salaries, restrictions on certain amenities that you can pay for using college um, uh, m- money like that. Um, at the end of the day, um, this is not an impossibility if you look at countries across Europe, I mean, I know it's the liberal trope to point to Europe, but um, uh, they they can do this. They they can offer higher education in countries just like ours, um, for much much lower than we do. Um, and we really need to get with it, or else we're going to see another um financial crisis in the way that two thousand eight was, but with student loans. So with healthcare, okay, if, I, if I could say, I could say one more thing about that, um, I have um. I have friends in their mid-30s, 40s, 50s, uh, many of whom are nurses. I went to just decent schools, some went to community colleges, but have made amazing lives for themselves. Um, Several of my friends are doctors, the same thing. Um, They all didn't have to go to the best school, and they didn't go to places that they couldn't afford. I think there's a sense of entitlement now that didn't used to be there. I have a friend that, like I said, does amazingly well, um, has got her job a job with a pharmaceutical company, and she went to a local community college. People don't seem to want to do that. They seem to want the title, and there's actually the guy from MIFA, Mass Educational Finance, said that it really doesn't do you any more good from what studies show to have that, because I have a friend right now that's going to NYU, a young friend, and I told her I, I think she's out of her mind for spending what she's spending there. But I, I, I don't know. I think there's something to be said with limit living within your means. Um, I don't mean you two personally, but I mean as a society. And if I could address one thing, Bradley, on the border. Yep. And I appreciate you guys indulging me. Um, I just took a bit of exception. I, I don't think, Sophie, you meant it personally about the Border Patrol agents, but you said a sense of sort of responsibility and uh, as far as uh, oversight for their, you know, for their job. Um, or revising, um, I, I really think that cause you brought up the two children that died in the care. Those guys, if you listen to the stories of what they go through, they do amazingly good things, and their hearts are in the right place. They're not out to hurt people. And that, especially the little girl that passed, her father refused her further care after she was initially evaluated. And I think we need to put some blame on the parents that slept these kids across how many countries, bless their hearts. And no one sets out to hurt hurt these children. In fact, they did all they could. Um, and I, I don't think that you know. I just I just feel badly for them because they they get dissed a lot in society right now, and they don't have an easy job. And there is um, the illegal family crossings also. That's up something like two hundred and eighty percent or something in the past year, some astronomical amount. And we can't keep them because of what the courts say. And then we're, you know, the country has said how awful we are because we let them off at bus stations. Well, what are we supposed to do? Put them up in the, you know, I don't know, some fancy hotel and and give them some card, you know, a credit card so they won't buy what they want. They make the choice to come here, and there are people here, veterans and people of all all you know, walks of life that are struggling. And I just think it's a little unfair to say that, you know, somehow we're the bad people in the whole equation and as, as American citizens, because I don't think we are an also border patrol. And I'm not saying you said it against, you know, 
on a personal thing, Sophie, but I just think that they get dissed a lot these days, and I just would like to give a shout-out because I think they do a very important and admirable job, and a lot of them, many of them have been killed in the process. So, anyways, I thank you guys for your time. Okay, Jenny, did you want to reply? Sure. Um, just thank you for calling and bringing that point um, just a little bit on what you said about the demonization of um, ICE and border control agents. I I agree with you that I'm sure they are not setting out to purposefully hurt people, but I think um, it we desire a closer look at the um, instructions that are being given to them by higher-ups in the government um, and the policies that the Trump administration is implementing. It's nothing nothing personal, but I think that as Democrats, um, our paradigm and our philosophy kind of um, rejects what they're being directed to do, but not, not them personally. Uh, not them personally, okay. I would just like to follow up with Elizabeth Warren a little bit, a, a follow-up question. Don't you think... Realistically, that she's a millstone, she's becoming a millstone around the party's neck, a negative, uh, that maybe you'd be better off with someone else. She's got a lot of negative baggage, and it's easy to, uh, she's vulnerable. Would Is it time to see somebody else in, the, in a seat like that? Right, well. For the, for the party? The great thing about the 2020 primary so far is that we have so many great qualified candidates to choose from. So I don't think that she's dragging the party down um, in so much as she's just giving another different option. I think that if the voters don't like yeah. her, she's not emblematic of the entire party. They can simply vote for someone else. She's an easy target for detractors. She's an easy target. And right, makes, she is. makes it easy but... to malign the Democratic Party. Let's go to Adam in Brookline. Hello, Adam. Hi. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, great to be able to talk to you. And I just want to say that, that your responses so far have been so impressive. Um, I do have a political comment and question. I don't have one about being young, unfortunately. But um, first of all, just a comment, which is that I, you know, I was really struck uh, by some of the previous uh, callers in conversation. This is, you know, been noted this for a while, about how there's this focus, and some of it comes back to that owning the libs, um, this focus on finding fault with a particular candidate or politician, and somehow their fault means that, you know, there's no value or that you can be critical of, you know, uh, the Democratic Party and, and general solutions. For example, looking at Elizabeth Warren, I mean, it's completely acceptable to look at um, how she filled out forms and so forth and be critical of, of who she is as a person or a politician, and we can debate, you know, that. But, um, you know, does that mean that her, her uh, the concepts for having good, you know, consumer financial protections or regulation against banking practices is a bad thing? Or, you know, does that mean that those ideas are bankrupt in and of themselves? Um, and just jumping forward with that point, uh, actually, I want to make one quick semi-related point. You know, people have talked about Elizabeth Warren's salary and just in, 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 in universities. I will point out that, you know, huge numbers of universities have moved to adjunct professors uh, as the primary mode of teaching, where these, where these professors, most of them, aren't on salary, don't have benefits, get paid relatively small amounts per class. And so focusing on an individual's salary seems 
to avoid the point, which is, you know, how how far along have these universities just become corporations that are milking the the, the students? But again, that's sort of jumping around. The, the I main... can see the point of those who say uh, that Senator Warren rails against high cost of education when she is the high the high cost of education. You know, I get that. And as far oh, as yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I, I, I think that calling out hypocrisy is is important. But nevertheless, it doesn't mean that there's not a route that would help, you know, the next generation do better if there was a way to um, help them pay for education. So, I, I mean, I, that's sort of what I'm, I agree that you can look at any specific person and say, Wow, you really took advantage of a situation um, when you shouldn't have, especially with what you're saying. But there also is the side of, well, is there anything we can do to reduce student debt over time so that you know people can succeed? Um, but the, the the sort of follow up to all this is, um, and and related to sort of identifying people or words. This is going to sound like maybe a jump. Uh, you know, where people can say, oh, we don't like Elizabeth Warren and therefore we don't like the Democrats or, or whatever, and that's a, a person. But then um, in in the State of the Union speech, um, Trump mentioned socialism, and there's been, uh, it's not a person, but this word, you know, democratic socialist and all this that has been um, pushed uh, or, you know, spoken about uh, by various people on the on the Democratic side. And my question is, some of those ideas, like, uh, for example, some version of, uh, you know, better health care funding and, and a variety of other things make a lot of sense. So my question um, to uh, both of the guests are, you know, do you think it's helpful um, for the Democratic, the Democrats to be using terms like democratic socialism or socialism when the ideas may be really good and helpful to the folks in the U.S., but the term has this connotation, which is clearly going to be used, you know, in a negative way. And the short version of that is, should they drop the, the word socialism? Yes, yes. Um, so that's a great question, um, and that's something that we've actually been discussing and thinking about a lot. Um, I think, personally, one of the things that makes the Democratic Party such a big draw for me, and I know for others, is the fact that we're such a big tent and that we can encompass people of all political ideologies from those who lean more towards the center to those who... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are on the fringes or so-called socialists. And I think that all of those people have a place in the party and they deserve to have their voices heard. Um, I think that the fact that a growing number of democratic socialists um, the fact that they're being elected to Congress and getting more of a platform reflects the changing ideas and demographics in America in terms of political ideology. And I think that they should absolutely have a seat at the table. They could have a seat at the table, but the question is, lose the phrase socialism because it just doesn't help. Yeah, Come up right. with a brand new word that's like a proactive kind of positive word. Jacob. 
Yeah, I can I can jump in on this. Um, when you talk about three of the country's most popular programs, it's Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. I mean, these are three programs that could broadly be labeled as socialist policies. They're they're redistribution efforts. Um, they are meant to benefit the whole of society. Um, I don't think that we should be pandering to the lowest common denominator of people like losing their heads over the word. I mean, it's it's but kind. But you want to win? No, we, so do, we, we do. We do want to win, but I think that we need to fight on the ideas in a way that's open and honest, and not one in which we're just like obscuring the definitions of words. Why give your enemies ammunition? Well, here's the thing. I'm not even sure. I I, I don't even think our enemies, if you want to call them that, really actually believe what they say about the word socialism. It kind of doesn't matter, though, because that conversation swells and it, and it hurts you. It, what's the harm with coming up in a new upbeat, zippy word for socialism? I mean, I get it. The military is a socialist thing as well. You pool your money and they help society. I get Adam's point. It's just a matter of marketing. No, no I, th I think it's a good point. Um, the marketing is tough because, I mean, like words like socialism are often then tied into words like being a progressive, progressivism. Um, and, and these words are also equally um, maligned and, and changed into being different than what they actually mean. Um, and, and I think that if the Democrats want to win on this and they want to shift the paradigm, I, I think we need to start getting really clear about what we mean when we use our terms. And I, I think that Bernie was beginning to get at that, where you actually had people listening to the words democratic socialist, and they were beginning to understand that like this is not like some sort of red scare communism sort of thing. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a democratic socialist, but I, I think that we should expect more of people. And Well, no, don't. that's a mistake right there, expecting more of people. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> you, can, I, I, you can try to make everybody understand socialism is a good thing, or get a new word. The latter is way easier. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get off the phone. I appreciate the time. But yeah, I mean, I am, just to be totally clear, personally, essentially for all these concepts that are, are being pushed uh, or, or discussed under that moniker. But it's such a, such a key word in our culture. And, and you already see Trump and others will just hammer on that. And, and so, uh, again, I think we've, <laughs> we've talked about it, but I'm really suspect because people just grab onto these things and say, okay, the right. party's no good. Whoop, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I cut you off by accident. Yes, what he's saying is, why give your your opponents a weapon? It's a good point. Take the mm -hmm. take the weapon away, and we'll get to Jack and Frank. A lot of calls tonight. I haven't been able to ask them many of my questions. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to Frank in Boston now. Appreciate it. Frank, hi. Hello. Good evening, sir. Great show. Um, question. Question. I know they say young people don't like to vote, but I need to find out. Is it because of your pen? Do you think it's because of your parents? Or do you think it's because of the kids? Uh, I mean, the kids' own attitudes. And also, do you think that we should, like, recently they, uh, the, the Democrats wanted to um, uh, put a bill for, to have voting move to weekends? Okay, we got those two questions. Question number one, why don't kids vote? Or do they? Um, 
I know personally and within the Boston College community and the BC Dems, we've been really pushing for um, voter registration among our peers and getting more people to vote. Um, but I would actually differ from both options that you raised, whether it's the fault of the way we were raised or the fault of our peers in our society. I'd say it's actually a fault of the voting system itself. I think the way that we think about voting um, inherently causes apathy and polarization just due to the the fact that people don't vote for the candidate they like they vote for they vote strategically for the candidate they hate less so i think that this is just one of my pet issues coming out here but i think that if we had a fundamental shift in the way that we think about voting and moved more towards um like what they're doing in maine with ranked choice voting or preferential options um that it would be far less contentious. And I think that it would make people feel like they have a stake in government by voting for who they like and actually seeing themselves be represented. I think that would do a lot to remedy the apathy that we see, especially among young people today. Yes, Jacob. Yeah. And uh, if I can reiterate just how difficult it can be to vote as a young person, um, the the idea uh, thrown forward um, by the caller, Jack, I believe, um, was that uh, moving to voting on a holiday or making it on a weekend. Um, I can't stress enough how how great of an idea I think that was that would be if we just took Columbus Day as it is now and made voting day a national holiday. That would allow for people who um, uh, work um, a lot of times lower wage jobs and work hourly uh, jobs. They're unable to get to the polling places during the day, um, and if they do, they have to go during their lunch break, and there's a chance the lines might be too long and they might not be able to vote. Um, we shouldn't confuse, as many would want you to believe, that making voting more easy and accessible is stealing votes. What the Democrats are committed to is making sure that everyone's voice is heard um, in a fair and free way. Um, but when that's construed as being we're trying to steal elections or we're trying to like get illegal people voting on the rolls, like it's it's just absolute silliness. And, you know, everyone deserves to have their voice heard. All right. This is a toss up. Raise your hand if you want to answer this first. Uh, in what way are you misunderstood by Gen X and older? Um, we hear the, yeah. the the old sayings, you guys are lazy. You're not really millennials, you are Gen Z, so maybe there's a difference, but we hear millennials are lazy, millennials are entitled, millennials, uh, you know, everybody got a trophy, and there's a downside to that. Anything else, that any other ways in which you are misunderstood? And you can address those too. Yeah, no. I mean, before I even mentioned it, what I was going to go after is the idea that um, Gen Z millennials are entitled. I mean... I'm really not even sure where this is coming from, like what exactly the issue is here. Um, but I mean, just in my experience being around people, like it was raised before that we go to expensive colleges for some reason because like we're, we feel entitled to do so. Um, I mean, that's absolutely not the case. Um, one, because college is expensive basically everywhere. Um, but two, also like the, the sensation is not that like we deserve it inherently. It's that we're becoming a downwardly mobile generation, one of the first in a very long time. Like the future will be worse. Yeah, like the future will be worse. Like right now, the top 1% has 40% of the wealth in this nation, and the bottom 90% 
has 23. If you'd count the bottom 99%, then you're talking about um, 60% of the wealth. But really, um, we're, we're, we're at a place right now where productivity is not being rewarded. Productivity is up 246% since 1948, but wages have lagged far behind, being up only 115%. Um, we're working harder. We're working longer hours. Um, we're doing better in school. We're actually, Gen Z is a very risk-averse generation. Um, we drink less. We engage in sexual intercourse less. Um, on a whole host of issues, we're considered much more conservative than our parents were in like some sort of risk-taking activities. Um, because we're working, we're trying hard to get ahead because prospects right now do not look great for us. All right. Sophie, are there any uh, Republicans you could bring yourself to vote for? Like I myself voted for Bernie <laughs> in the primary, and then I voted for uh, the Ohio governor, uh, Kasich. Could you vote for somebody like that, anybody centrist? I kind of could vote for anybody in the middle. I just cannot stand the extremes. Sure. So I actually, I voted for the first time in um like uh, in September um, in the in my home state, Rhode Island's um, primaries um, and general election. And I actually ended up voting for several Republicans on the local and state level. Um, I find that when it comes to local and state level politics, it's more about that person and whether they will work for the good of the community and whether they're really in touch with what the people want, whether they've been out doing the work, knocking on the doors, talking to people, finding out what's affecting them and promising to help. And I think that that same principle could be applied to national politics. Right now at the national stage, I feel like things are so polarized and I'm obviously very opposed to President Trump and I'm seeing many, many Republicans just falling in line behind President Trump. So at the moment, I cannot think of anyone that I would vote for. Um, Okay. Out of the national Republicans, but I'm definitely not opposed to voting for Republican. Initially, you voted for Bernie, but you're growing tired of Bernie, correct? I, I wasn't able to vote for Bernie. I was a Bernie supporter um, back in 2016, but as the 2020 elections are coming around, I I think it's time for him to um, maybe take a back seat on this one. And, Pack it in, Bernie. Right, not take the, the spotlight. Uh, you, were, you were, Jacob, starting to talk about how you're, we're going to call you Gen, Gen Z, you're at risk averse. At risk of first generation, you drink less, you don't have as much sex, and you don't drive your car fast because you don't have cars, right? You're less automotive, aren't you? I think we also do get our driver's license at lower rates and later on. I think that is true. Why do you suppose there's less sex going down? Yeah, I mean, sex, I I, I can't say for sure. I'm sure, though, that I'm, uh, well, no, I'm sure. I, it, it seems probable that increases in Education um, about sex, sex education. and uh, and yeah. health has been an important factor in allowing girls and women, and of course male students to um, uh, to choose different ways of being in in that realm, um, and has perhaps made some more risk averse, which is obviously good. Seeing teen pregnancy drop to some of the lowest rates in in our in our nation's history is nothing but amazing. That's exactly what you'd want. In Gen Z. Can you give me any idea about the how things skew politically? Is it are, you, are the young people way democratic in that? And does that mean that as Gen Z gets older, that are we're going to have many more Democrats in office? Um, right. So I think that as as the generations move on, like millennials and 
Gen Z are much more liberal. Um, I found a statistic earlier that only 30% of Generation Z approves of Trump, which is lower than the national average. Um, and 70% say that government should be more active, which is generally a democratic position to take, a liberal position to take. So I think that the way it stands right now, especially considering that Generation Z is on track to be the most diverse um, in America's history, um, definitely contributes to that. And I think that um, it's moving in a, in a direction that it will continue to move in in the future. I don't think um, that momentum is going to slow down anytime soon. I'd like to have both of you answer this and tell me if I've already asked it in other words, but what is your under, underlying philosophy about life and, and everything that makes you a Democrat, makes you a liberal? Um, I mean, obviously, I could go on about this for forever, but there, there's one thing that I constantly find myself going back to when I ask myself why I find myself on the left politically and why I align with the Democratic Party. Um, and it's John Rawls' thought experiment of, um, of what's it called? The something veil. I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. But uh, essentially what it is is that you'd have to imagine yourself before birth floating sort of outside of, a, of the world. And you're sitting behind this veil. And there's a random opportunity that you'll end up basically anywhere in the world. You could end up in destitute poverty. You could end up in the richest family in the world. Um, and it asks that if you were to create a world, if you were to build it yourself from the ground up, what, what sort of society would you want to create so that way if you were to be randomly plucked and placed into the world that you would be all right with where you are? Um, and what, what that means for me is a society that is more equal than it is at the moment. Um, this does not mean everyone needs to be equal. I'm obviously not calling for any sort of radical egalitarian communism sort of state, but it it does mean that we we currently live in America in an incredibly unequal society, and especially when you talk about globally. I mean, the disparities there are just um, breathtaking. Um, it it makes you ask what how do we maximize good in society, and how do we make sure that more people don't get left behind. Is it the? I think it's the veil of ignorance. Is that the what veil of ignorance? For? That's it. Yes, thank All you. Right. And uh, can you answer the same question? Sophie? Sure. Yeah. Just to kind of echo what Jacob was saying, um, I think that my personal goal and the way that my personal values are oriented is towards making sure that everyone can live a comfortable life. Because, frankly, I don't really see any reason why not. If we have the resources to make it work logistically then what's holding us back? I, I feel like, I feel personally and philosophically, from a moral standpoint, a sense of responsibility to my fellow Americans and my fellow humans across the globe to make sure that everyone has a life free from poverty, hunger, not being able to have uh, affordable and good quality health care, um, and just making sure that everyone is taken care of. And I really feel like the essence of freedom, which is something that we hold so dear in America, is making sure that everyone has the freedom to live a good life, that we start everyone out with that basic baseline of having basic human needs to move forward from there and live their life however they want to. I really think that that's the essence of liberty and something that we 
should be pursuing as Democrats. Okay. I'll just bang right into the next thing. We have the Me Too movement, and we have people in trouble for stuff they did a long time ago. Is it fair to judge a person by today's standards for something? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They did when the standards were very different. Is you, you, you know what I'm talking about? You can address that. Yes, and I'd say the answer is yes, because sexual assault was always wrong, regardless of whether society widely regarded it as wrong. I think the reason that it's gaining more attention nowadays is because we're increasingly seeing women as equals in society. But just because something happened decades ago when women weren't given the same place at the table doesn't mean that it isn't morally reprehensible and that it doesn't reflect a sort of moral poverty on behalf like um within the assaulters who are who are being accused now okay how about something like and i'll get to you in a moment jacob uh you know i don't know if you watch mad men on tv but let's take uh say politician x 40 years ago patted some aid on the buttocks which today would be you know bye-bye uh, in those days, it was more socially n- normal. Should they be judged for that kind of thing by today's standards or not? And maybe yes, maybe no. Just asking. Um, I would say yes, that they should be judged by today's standards. I think that if they have made a clear effort to turn around the way that they behave and a clear way to make amends for the harm that they have done. I don't think that their lives should necessarily be ruined. I I hesitate to say that there's a hierarchy when it comes to levels of assault, but I'd say that um, something such as what you were describing is less than a full-out assault, but it's still something that should be addressed. And Okay, the reason yeah. I, I bring it up is say you have something that wasn't a crime then and, no, hold on, is a crime now. Mm-hmm. Act X, eating a particular fish. You, you, you committed that crime then, and now the law changes, and somebody finds out you committed that crime then, you're not on the hook for that crime because it wasn't illegal at the time. Right. I see sort of an analogy between that and the pat on the butt when pat, pats on the butt were very common. Right. I, I think that that sort of analogizing is a little bit... It, it's. It's making a little bit awesome. I think it's a little bit trivial. <laughs> <laughs> well, how so? Why? Why is it trivial? I mean, I. I mean, it's a, it, it. You are being charged with a, something wrong that you did when it wasn't wrong. It was still wrong. Was it? Though? It was yes, because it's still emblematic okay. of well, objectification. It may have been wrong, but wasn't considered wrong by society at the time. Right. It was it was still morally and uh, at a, on a philosophical and ethical level wrong, so I don't think that it's right. it's the same. Fair enough. Do you want to speak yeah. to that there, Jacob? Um, I've just got a point back again on the 
Me Too movement and this sort of worry about things coming out, about things that might have happened when you were, uh, let's be honest, a young man. A lot of this is centered around the behavior and um, actions of men. Um, I, I've been asked before, and it's 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 always an odd question, like, oh, do you do you worry about this yourself? Are you worried that one day someone will come out and accuse you of XYZ action? Um, and my answer is no, and it's because I don't assault women. It's because I treat women with respect when I can, which is I, there should be no reason not to. Unless... You've been brought up to know and live with the current set of rules, well, whereas these some of these people weren't. And you know, maybe being a liberal, you could cut them some slack. I mean, let's not let, let's not pretend like there haven't always been norms around rape and assault not rape obviously, and assault. obviously not no, but, like, but like the me too movement came out a lot of inside of like the discussion about brett kavanaugh and if what was alleged against him is true this is not like oh it was okay to pin right. a woman down at a party in high school right. x years ago like that was always wrong and we shouldn't be apologizing for acts like that and i would hope that if in if if like if someone my age were to have done this and then in the future be accused of doing that, that they would be held responsible for it. And you can't just slip it under the rug as like he was just a kid. Because let's be honest, if if you are pretending like you don't know that that's wrong, then you're obviously just lying to yourself. Of course, one should know that something like that accusation was totally wrong under all circumstances. Online dating, do you guys engage in that? I personally don't. You do not? Um, no, I don't partake in online dating well, either. Okay. The reason I was going to ask, I guess I, I can't now, is do you find that, uh, I was going to ask you, do you find if people inflate their profiles to be attractive and then when you meet up, they're disappointing? Um, I mean, definitely a lot of people have online dating accounts, you know, like Tinder, Bumble, et cetera. Um, this is obviously like memetically something that sort of floats around that like that is something that does happen. So I, I could say just from from seeing that around, like, yes, that is a common sentiment and sort of joke that exists out there. Yeah. So what's up? Yeah. Um, just to like, <laughs> sorry, just to expand on that a little bit. I think that not even just limiting that to online dating, I think that's kind of representative of social media culture in itself. Um, it's never really real it's always the idealized image of someone that they want you to see so when you're on social media scrolling through someone's feed seeing all of their posts they're just showing you the best parts of their life and all the things that they want you to know and admire about them so i think that with online dating and broadly social media and the internet and the way that we interact now i think um, there's a certain level of superficiality and not authenticity there. And now we go to Chris in California. Hello, Chris. Hi. Um, I was listening to the show and, and heard about the judging of people's past behavior. And I was wondering um, how they feel about uh, judging like JFK or Martin Luther King who had affairs. You know, should we look down on them for their so they lose some points yeah that's a really good question who wants to go first um yeah i mean i think that the problem we run into all the time is that we want to idolize we want to deify everyone who we agree with and we want to demonize everyone that we disagree with um 
we we can all love the founding fathers, and I think it's important to and to talk about all the great things we they did. But we can also at the same time hold in our minds the fact that many of them were slave owners, the same way that people in more modern eras have done great things, but have also done wrong, have fought for certain issues that were really important, but then might have fought civil rights at the same time. Um, I I think that it just takes a bit of nuance, and I know it's hard to expect nuance from everyone, but I'm, uh, I think that if you're engaging in this discussion to begin with at all, it means that you have a capacity for nuance. So, I mean, that's where I'm at, but I, I feel like so- So that said, that. that said, do we diminish our esteem? I mean, I mean, I think we definitely, I think we definitely should, depending on what the action is. I mean, I'm no expert on the affairs of JFK, but I mean, like, definitely, infidelity in marriage is not something to be admired or. or do, do we diminish our esteem of George Washington and those folks, slave owners? We, um, you have to, right? I mean, I, I think you have to. You can't. You can still say that the thing that they set up was beautiful and that they created a political system entirely new for the era in which they were in, but then also at the same time hold in your brain, oh, this guy like owned human beings as like objects. That's horrible. Sophie? Yeah, I would I would honestly agree with everything that Jacob said. I think he really hit the nail on the head. Um, I think that it's important to view not only historical figures but also contemporary figures in our in our society today with a bit of nuance um nobody is perfect but it is important to recognize reprehensible acts that that come out that people have done and to hold them responsible for that and i think that's something just connecting it back to the me too movement is these people are still in power and we have the opportunity to do something about it which i think is the fundamental difference here but i i 100 percent agree with everything that jacob said that we should hold these historical figures um we should not hold them up on a pedestal and and consider them to be uh, basically untouchable. We should recognize their flaws. So you uh, both have been subject to questions about how older folks are irritated by you. It is only fair that you get a chance to tell us how you are irritated by old people. Anything? Go ahead and do it now. This is, you know, you don't have to be nice. I'm sure that, you know, through your day-to-day life, you've come up with some things like, doggone those old people. <laughs> they, they irritate me when they do blank. We, uh, the young conservatives were on, uh, the, the boy, the male, said he was irritated by their refusal to embrace any sort of technology and, and uh, would instead just say, nah, I'm too old, I'm not getting a computer, I don't need no computer. Do, do you have anything along those lines, anything else that irritates you? You, you can say to the, the older folks, can you not do that anymore or can you do that in the future? Right. Um, I, I would actually agree with with the point about technology, and but I, I think that doesn't irritate me so much because I really do see an effort of people um, trying to learn, and I think that's some of the credit should be given to Gen Z and the millennials for setting up workshops teaching older people how to use technology, but I think that's something that um, if we could all get on board with that, it would make society a much better place if we could all communicate more effectively over social media and the internet and not really leave anyone behind in that conversation. Um, but I think more broadly, um, what sort of irritates me is just, I, I see a general um, closed-mindedness on certain issues and an unwillingness to listen to 
the lived experiences of of the younger generation, such as Gen Z, especially in my opinion, when it comes to things like like women's rights or or gender and sexual identity or even climate change. These are things where Gen Z and millennials have a very important contribution to make. And I think that um, the older generations should be more receptive to it. Now you've had 90 seconds to ponder that question, Jacob. You probably have a bang up answer. What do you got? Now, uh, Sophie hit him at the end mainly. Um, Climate change, definitely. I would appreciate it if more people came around to believing that it was real and it was caused by and it is being caused by humans. Um, I would also appreciate it if we came around to treating other people of different sexual orientations and um, obviously different colors, shapes, sizes with different respect. I mean, when you've got the silent generation, the boomers and X all underneath 23% of polling saying that black people are treated fairly in America, um, that is horribly concerning. I would appreciate if we stopped, uh, you know, calling the cops on black people for just like walking around and also like yelling at people for speaking Spanish in public places. That'd be super cool. Okay. I have time for one final thing. Transgender identity bathroom use. I'm not going to guess. I shouldn't guess what your thoughts are on. I'm going to go with Sophie. Should a, uh, a person be able to use the gender bathroom that matches with their identity rather than their physical self. Yes. Okay. Period. And yes, based yes. on what? What why? I What is I the underlying that, principle that makes that the case? Right. I think that the bathroom issue is kind of a non-issue and it's more of a a, a I don't want to say a dog whistle, but I I guess it is a dog whistle to the existing prejudices held by people against trans people i when you go to the bathroom it's a completely private activity nobody else is involved it does not matter there is no evidence of any predatory behavior going on by trans people in bathrooms i think that it's nobody's business who uses which bathroom what is the philosophical construct that states that the, the correct action is one that results in the greatest good for the greatest number that would be utilitarianism. Utilitarianism. Okay. So if a male who becomes a female or is in the process of or identifies as a female goes in the bathroom, the women's bathroom, he makes a bunch of people uncomfortable. If he uses the male, the men's room, he's uncomfortable. Wouldn't the utilitarian principle dictate that he should stay in, use the men's room because there's only one person being uncomfortable rather than all the women in the other room. Right, and I think that there's a really easy and really obvious solution to that, and that would be to stop being uncomfortable and discriminating against trans people just existing in their own spaces. I think that the types of bathroom bills and legislation and and legislating the bodies of trans people is very psychologically damaging to them and also psychologically damaging to trans people all over the country who now feel like they're not accepted and that they don't belong in their body and that's that's traumatic so i i think that we should we should leave it alone and allow them so to that do whatever the, the makes greater them number of people uncomfortable in the in the ladies room should just not be uncomfortable well i think that that's a good answer we need to we need to open up the conversation around existing prejudices and why we need to really get to the root causes of why people would feel okay. uncomfortable. So you a as a person. woman don't feel any risk. No big, strong 
potentially dangerous, creepy man in the ladies' room? No, because that would be a woman. Trans women are women. Mentally. But size-wise. I, I would not feel uncomfortable, okay, gotcha. now. Anything else, folks? In closing, did you have fun? And, oh, I had a great yes, time. We, Thank you so yeah. much for having us on. Was it great. different than you expect, expected? Um, a little bit. I, I actually didn't know if we were going to be fielding calls like this. Um, but yeah, no. I, I mean, I really appreciate everyone who did call in and chose to voice their opinions. And I'm, uh, and and I was really happy to field those questions and just, uh, just put out respect back to them. Um, and hope to continue this dialogue. You know. Yeah, you know, I said the same thing to the young conservatives, the young Republicans, that both of them would have the ability to be talk show hosts, and they'd never considered it. Same, same for you guys. You both of you could be talk show hosts, and I'll, the first step to that is realize it's a possibility. And I'm telling you that it is. Got a lot of practice to do, unfortunately, <laughs> but we'll we'll try. If Thank you, you for having uh, us on. If you decide, I will. You know, I can send tapes to me, and I can criticize them. I can tell you what to do. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That was another Jay Talking podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to the Jay Talking podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates, and as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.